At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The increase of both habitual physical activity, including structured exercise that targeted general fitness characteristics, and protein-dense food ingestion are frontline strategies utilized to support muscle mass performance and health. Uh, kind of a little side note, earlier he had mentioned that um, you can thrive on a plant-based diet, but once again, we're looking for calorie per calorie. My goal is that we should have the lowest ladder possible or make the curb as low as possible for people to step onto to achieve better health. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical, and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health. Um, this is actually kind of like a last-minute thing. Well, I shouldn't even say last-minute thing, but... uh. I saw a tweet today, and I wanted to actually do a whole podcast on it. So uh, let's start off with first things first. Make sure you are subscribed to the channel. Um, really helps me out. Make sure you leave a thumbs up and a comment if you possibly could. means the world to me. And wherever you're listening, please leave a rating and review because that will help kind of boost me in the algorithms. And while you're at it, go to the description below and check out my affiliate link for LMNT, the world's best electrolytes. Um, we're coming out with a grapefruit salt flavor, which I have not tried yet, but I'm really, really excited. Um, all their other flavors are absolutely fantastic. And as you can see, my stack of supplements right there from tigerfitness.com, where you can get branched chain amino acids, pre-workouts, protein powders fat burners you name it it's all there and i highly recommend all of it um i've been drinking the crap out of the strawberry mango uh, bcaas um i add that to my water as well as electrolytes but uh the bcaas um will help you with recovery a little bit and then obviously all their protein powders are absolutely fantastically tasted as well in fact i've almost went through my uh five pound jug of uh, peanut butter fluff protein powder it is just the best stuff ever so um anyways um uh, I saw a tweet today from Mayor Eric Adams, I believe, in New York. Um, if I'm mistaken here, then I'll correct myself here in a few minutes anyways. Um, saying that he's going to try to reduce meat and animal consumption by 33% um, over the next coming years, which 
Um, anybody that knows me, I am very biased towards um, animal consumption. Uh, I mean, I eat French toast literally like every single day, which includes eggs. Um, I do love myself red meat. I love pork. I love chicken. I love all animal proteins because um, I just think they taste fantastic and they are the most bioavailable sources of protein to the human body. Um, we're going to discuss this a little bit today, but... I just want to lay my bias out there um, right at the beginning of the show, just so that way you know where I'm coming from. But uh, I am also aware that plant proteins, there's nothing wrong with them. But um, as we'll kind of dive into throughout this podcast, uh, the bioavailability of plant proteins isn't that of animal proteins. Now, there are ways that you can kind of get around that, like uh, soy protein isolate, um, like a plant protein powder, potato protein powder, um, plant protein powders, but, um, if we're being honest, how many people do you see going to the store and dumping protein powder into their shopping cart? Um, the answer isn't a lot. Now you could say maybe they'll start putting soy protein isolate in some foods or something like that. But even at that, a majority of the, uh, stuff in the grocery store, you're not going to see protein powders in unless you're in the health and wellness aisle. Which generally, if you're in that aisle, then you're normally kind of already, you kind of know some of this stuff. But this is perhaps more for the people who don't know. And um, even if you do, hopefully you take away something else here. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I am a huge advocate for animal proteins because I um, they have the highest amount of leucine in them, which leucine is primarily responsible for triggering what's called muscle protein synthesis, which is your body's ability of basically building new proteins to build new lean mass and different tissues. Now, why am I focusing on protein so much? Is because protein is the most important macronutrient for health, right? It is the one for longevity that's going to help you maintain muscle mass as you age, which we'll get into a little bit later, and how important that is and how actually devastating this could be for aging populations. Um, I don't necessarily have complete data for how this pans out over the long term, but um, I have a lot of speculation that could that that would shock you to say the least. So um when you get this, you know, certain threshold of leucine, which is more present in animal proteins, and once again, you're more likely to trigger muscle protein synthesis. And then over the course of the day, you're actually more likely to stay a little bit more anabolic as in you're going to net more muscle protein. Um, you're going to net more muscle protein synthesis versus muscle, muscle protein breakdown, which that's kind of like the balance in our body, right? Where you want to have more muscle protein synthesis rather than more muscle protein breakdown. And as we age, we develop what's called anabolic resistance, which once again, we're going to cover here in this podcast today. So um, let's do the screen share here and I'll be sure to share sound as well because um, I notice in sometimes in different podcasts, I've not been that able or um. I've been a little silly in this regard. So let's start here and we will just let this play and do some commentary. One in every five metric tons of carbon dioxide our city emits comes from food. But all food is not created equal. The vast majority of food that is contributing to our emission crisis lies in meat and dairy products. We already know that a plant plant power diet is better for your physical and mental health. And I am living proof of that. But the reality is that thanks to this new inventory, we're finding out it is better for 
the planet. One in every five metric tons of... Can we just uh, kind of notice here that he claims to be a good example of that, but he could hardly work through the whole speech, right? Now, I'm not trying to knock on him. Maybe that's just the way that he normally speaks, but like, clearly you're not a shining beacon of health. Um, I have no problem with um, plant-based vegan diets. I really don't. Um, they can be healthy for some people when done properly, when you supplement properly, which, as I kind of alluded to earlier, requires a lot of plant-based protein powders. Um, that's going to make it significantly more difficult for you because you have to go out of your way to target protein, whereas if you include some lean animal proteins, then you're not going to have to worry about that as much. Um, in order to get sufficient plant protein from, let's say, natural plant sources, you're going to have to eat a significant amount of calories and a significant amount of food to get the same effect as you would if you were just eating animal proteins. Now, I'm sure I've laid this out in podcasts before, but there is an upside to that where you want a high volume, low calorie dense foods for satiation or you know, just for overall a uh, difference in palate, like maybe you enjoy certain vegetables. I mean, I love Brussels sprouts. I love broccoli. Um, I eat a big salad all the time. I have peppers, you know, um, yeah, I, I do enjoy vegetables, but they're not the heart of my diet. I eat, um, lean ground beef every day. Um, when I go out to eat on the weekends, normally I'm getting some kind of barbecue just because that's what I enjoy. Um, there is the, also the added benefit of plant-based diets having a lot of fiber, which we know is really, really good for health. Um, if you're looking for a longevity hack, as far as I understand, the data shows that um, per each or per like 10 gram increase in fiber, you see a overall lowering of like disease. So um, th there's lots of benefits to a plant-based diet, but I, I don't think it's complete, right? Um, why not do a plant-based diet where you just have, you could do a plant-based diet, honestly, where you have all lean meats, right? You would still be a majority of your calories from plants, but then add in all the lean meats and um, animal proteins that you can find and, you know, animal protein powders. And even if you want, um, you know, regular soy protein or pea protein isolate, if you want to add that in as well. So um, I'm going to go back to the screen here. Um, I wrote, I uh, can't wait to do a podcast on this later. Um, it is April 19th, 2023, when I'm recording this. And this will probably air in a couple weeks. So I wrote on Facebook um, when I found the post. Um, Mayor Eric Adams said, what we put on our plate doesn't just affect us. We now know that... Um, we now know food is the third largest source of emissions in New York City, so what we eat is impacting our entire planet. That's why I'm announcing that by 2030, the city will reduce our food-related emissions by 33%. Last year, NYC Health Plus Hospitals defaulted to plant-based meals for their patients and cut their food emissions by 36%. The rest of our government will do the same. We're also challenging the private sector partners to cut their emissions, their food emissions, I'm sorry, by 25% by 2030. Okay, so um, as we could see, they're all about the plant-based diet. Um, once again, I have no problem with that, but I'm just kind of understand. So what I wrote here was restricting meat and dairy sources of nutrition is a fantastic way to increase elderly diseases and death, as well as kick the ladder out for affordable protein sources for low-income families. 
Elderly populations are much more likely to die from an injury directly related to lack of lean mass. A lack of lean mass is from insufficient protein, calories, and stimulation. Older populations develop anabolic resistance, which is a condition where more protein is required to stimulate muscle. Animal proteins are the most bioavailable proteins to the human body, according to digestible indispensable amino acid scores, which means that it is crucial that elderly populations have the easiest access to animal foods. Moving away from animal foods will devastate people of all ages. Plant-based diets are fine for some when done and supplemented properly. Most people cannot sustain that life easily. Um, just kind of elaborating on that here, we'll continue on to this article here, um, defining the future of protein quality. So it was kind of funny. I actually had to dig through a couple articles to find the original DIAS scores, the digestible and dispensable amino acid scores, because right now they're moving over to, let me make sure I'm saying this correctly. Um, the protein digestibility corrected amino acid score. And I'll speak to the issues here in a minute, but um, we're just going to read from this article here. Um, defining the future of protein quality. Protein is an essential nutrient that mainly serves as the building blocks for cells in our bodies. It is a crucial component of any diet, regardless of your health and performance goals. However, not all proteins are created equal. At Radix, we use the digestible and dispensable amino acid scores to drive the innovation to ensure our protein formulations are of the best quality. So here um, they say, what is a dias? Um, the digestible indispensable amino acid score is a method of measuring protein quality. Effectively, it evaluates the proportion of consumed amino acids absorbed and utilized by the body. It compares the, the amount of each essential amino acid absorbed from a protein source to a reference value for the human body. Generally, the lowest score of the nine essential amino acids determines the overall dias score which makes it a good measurement for identifying a whole protein quote or um and then in parentheses it says a protein that provides adequate amounts of all nine essential amino acids the dias is considered the gold standard for protein quality evaluation as it accounts for both the amino acid profile of a protein and its digestibility so here we're going to cover both the uh, dias versus pdcaas um, up until recently, another method of protein quality evaluation was commonly used, the protein digestible corrected amino acid score. This method, method functions similarly to the DIAS, but has several drawbacks that make it less accurate and no longer appropriate, which is kind of funny because it's the one that you kind of see floated out around or floated out and about a lot right now. The assessment of the nutritional value of a protein should reflect its ability to satisfy the metabolic demands for nitrogen and amino acids. Its capacity to do so is determined by amino acid availability and digestibility. There are several reasons why the PDCAAS does not adequately account for these factors. Um, all right, guys, we are going to take a quick break from the show to tell you about the show's sponsor. We are now brought to you by Fox & Sons Coffee. As you can see right here, I got the Den Blend Dark. Really enjoy that. Um, I've been drinking a lot of their Brazil Honey Prep right here. As you can hear, there's not a lot of beans left in it because I've been drinking it quite a bit. Um, just to tell you a little bit about Fox & Sons, why I support them and why you should too, is that uh, Stephen had started the company up in Michigan to help teach his son about entrepreneurship. Um, I'm all about that. And I do firmly believe that in order to spread liberty in our lifetimes, we have to support those who support similar values as us. And Stephen does support all the same libertarian values that I bring and talk about on the show a lot. So go to foxandsons.com, use code KYLE at checkout to get 15% off of orders, $25 or more. And there's always free shipping whenever you place an order that is more than $37.99. Um, 
find their coffee absolutely fantastic and i'm sure you will too so uh, one more time go to foxandsons.com use code kyle at checkout to get yourself a little discount let them know i sent you and support the coffee that supports you all right guys thanks back to the show as we'll kind of cover later they push a lot of plant-based proteins which is kind of suspicious in my mind um Firstly, the PDCAAS is taken from fecal samples where the presence of amino acids will determine the relative digestibility. This can lead to an inaccurate evaluation as many processes in the gut can introduce amino acids into the feces, such as the synthesis of methionine and lysine into the microbial metabolic functions. This can result in false positives when measuring quantities of amino acids to determine absorption. On the other hand, dias samples are taken from the ileum. This leads to greater accuracy when assessing digestibility as amino acid absorption practically ceases once it reaches this point in the digestive tract. Measurement at the ileum also precedes the processes in the gut that can introduce additional amino acids. Another factor to consider is that the PDCAAS system only allows for a maximum score of 1. It does not permit extra nutritional value to be evaluated in higher quality proteins. Under the DIAS method, a protein that exceeds the human requirement for all essential amino acids can score higher than one. This makes it a more effective way to evaluate and compare high quality protein sources. Um, in 2011, the Food and Agriculture, Agriculture Organization, FAO, recommend using DIAS over PDCAAS for protein quality um, evaluation. Okay, so here they um, show the DIAS scores of the plant-derived and animal-derived proteins, and we're going to cover this here. So um, for those looking here on the left side, there's animal-derived proteins, and then on the right side, they have plant-derived proteins. So... Um, Oh, of course, this website plugs their own protein. So they have the Radix Whey Protein Dias Complex 1.61, and that has a Dias score rating of 1.61. They have their plant protein over on the plant side at a 1.3. Now, once again, this is because usually what they do with plant protein powders is that they insert amino acids into them to make them more bioavailable, or they remove out all the other kind of um, fiber and stuff like that that may prevent these proteins from being fully digestible. So uh, underneath the radix is goat milk at 1.24. Underneath goat milk is milk protein concentrate at 1.2. Uh, whole milk powder at 1.16. Cow milk at 1.14. Pork at 1.13. Whole egg at 1.12. Beef at 1.09. Casein at 1.09, sheep milk at 1.09, chicken breast at 1.08, whey protein concentrate, concentrate, sorry, at 1.07, skimmed milk protein, 1.05, whey protein isolate, uh, one, and then fish tilapia is one they measured, is 1.0. So those are all the animal-derived ones. Now over for the plant-derived proteins. Um, you're going to notice that these scores are a lot lower. So at number one, they have their own plant protein powders. I said earlier, a soya flour at 0.89, soya protein isolate at 0.84, oat protein isolate at 0.67, peas at 0.65, pea protein concentrate, uh, 0.62, cooked rice, 0.6, Cooked kidney beans, 0.59. Cooked rolled oats, 0.54. Rye, 0.48. Barley, 0.47. Wheat, uh, 0.45. Roasted peanuts, 0.37. 
sorghum 0.29 and corn-based cereal 0.01 um i don't know why they would do that so um we'll kind of finish up here in this article just because they're kind of plugging their own protein there which is fine let me go over to this article here and stop the share um another study that i covered i want to say in my episode on anabolism if I remember the episode number off the top of my head, I'd tell you guys, but feel free to scroll back to the catalog to see that. I think I covered the study that Lane Norton did where they actually fed the mice over a course of um, a day. They supplemented or they gave them different proteins. So they had wheat protein, a whey protein, and I think like an egg protein or something like that. And they were measuring the overall muscle protein synthesis over the course of the day when they would feed them at different times. So they would repeatedly feed them like a wheat, a, you know, all these different proteins to see how much lean mass they developed. And what they found is that the mice that ate the protein from animals more often actually built more lean mass. And from what I understand, I don't have any of the data in front of me. Um, this was replicated in humans as well. So we will continue on with the screen share here. Let me pull this back up. Um, article from mileandbike.com. Uh, protein quality. Welcome to part three of the protein series, protein quality. If you haven't already done so, maybe worth revisiting a few basics from the previous posts. Skip that. Um, what is protein quality? If you're going to forget everything else I say here, just remember that protein quality refers to how much of your dietary protein is effectively digested, absorbed, and used by the body. Whatever protein food you put in your mouth, your stomach needs to digest into smaller, simpler protein molecule, molecules Sorry, and amino acids. Then your intestine needs to absorb your cells, um, and your cells need to use these molecule, molecules to build, grow, and repair. Ultimately, this is how protein helps us maintain our health and bodily functions. Um the easier it is to digest, absorb, and use these protein molecules, the higher the protein quality. So um, here they just compare the protein qualities. Um, there's a little picture here where they just have like animal protein, plant-based, and dairy. Um, and they use the USDA food source database. And I want to scroll down here because this is what's really interesting. So I'm not going to finish this article here, but it'll be in the notes um, just in case you guys want to read through this. Um, calorie density. So this is kind of what I was touching on a little bit earlier, but um, reading from the article, it is quite easy to get enough protein from meat without eating too many calories. For example, we can get roughly 100 grams of protein from 300 to 400 grams of meat for less than 100 or for less than 1,000 calories. However, if we want to get the same amount of protein from plants, we need about a kilogram of tofu, lentils, and chickpeas for close to 1,500 calories. Likewise, or likewise, we need two kilograms of quinoa for over 2,600 calories. Nuts and seeds are calorie-dense because they're high in fat. We can get 100 grams of protein from a mere 500 to 700 grams of walnuts, almonds, cashews, or chia seeds, but for as much as three or for as much as three to four thousand calories. So um real quick takeaway here, this is why you should be careful if you're snacking on nuts, for example. They are so freaking tasty. Believe me, I love macadamia nuts. I love cashews, peanuts, um, not so much almonds, but um walnuts, you name it, I love them. But the problem is they're very, very calorically dense. You're not going to want to stop eating them, and you're going to get a lot of calories in a handful of nuts. A handful of nuts could easily be 500 to like 1,000 calories if you're just going in on them. 
Okay, so I'm going to explode up this chart here. And this was actually really, really interesting to me. So on the left side, we'll start from... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Left to right on this chart. And at the top left, it says food, protein per uh, gram and 100 grams of food portion, the portion in grams, protein proportion, um, calories proportion, number of proportions, food per grams, and then uh, food from calories. And then up at the top right, those last three I just named um, is how much food to provide 100 grams of protein. So like I said, I think this is absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm just going to start and I'm not going to go through all of these, but um, we'll just kind of roll through these. So beef steak braised um, protein per 100 grams of food, um, 31 grams um, for a four ounce portion of steak. That's uh, 140 grams protein proportion, 43 um, calories proportion, 351 grams. So um, you would get to get, 100 grams of protein from, let's say, steak or beef steak braised, um, you would need 814 calories. Now, obviously, you're going to get some fat in there. You're not going to get any fiber or anything like that, but that's okay. Now, shrimp is perhaps one of the more interesting ones because shrimp is pretty much all protein. It's like no fat at all. Um, so one serving of shrimp is um, 113 grams. 
at 17 grams of protein, 80 calories, and then you would need a hundred gram or um, I'm sorry, 665 grams of uh, shrimp to get 100 grams of protein, and that is 471 calories. So now we go all the way down here. You would have to get um, 14, let me see here, 25 portions, which is one ounce, so 25 ounces of walnuts to get um, 100 grams of protein, which would be 4,575 calories, right? I'm not going to go through all of these, but to get 100 grams of protein of almonds, 3,100 calories, uh, cashews, 3,200, flax seeds, 2,900, uh, quinoa, 2,600, chickpeas, a little bit better at 1,700, tofu, 774, which is pretty good, uh, lentils cooked, 1,263, but imagine eating, how much would that be, a cup full of lentils, that would be... Uh, 1100 grams um imagine eating all that in lentils and your stomach will be sore or you'll be run to the toilet so as you can see throughout that chart that animal proteins come out on top when it comes to calorie per calorie for protein and once again you have to remember that you're going to get more bioavailable proteins with those animal foods Am I saying you should exclude plant proteins? No, but what I am saying is that you should probably opt for more animal proteins when you can. And then, you know, it's perfectly fine to have plant proteins, stuff like that, because I think it's probably good to get different um, amounts of amino acids and also, um, you know, just more, divi more diversity in your diets, I think a good thing. So we will go back to the screen here, and I want to talk about elderly populations and what's called anabolic resistance. So um, here, this is a meta-analysis from, let me make sure I got this right here, apologies. A research review, defining anabolic resistance implications for delivery of clinical care nutrition. So the purpose of their review was skeletal muscle mass with aging during critical care and following critical care is a determinant of quality of life and survival. In this review, we discuss the mechanisms that underpin skeletal muscle atrophy which is, you know, the loss of muscle mass and recommendations to offset skeletal muscle atrophy with aging and during, as well as following critical care. Anabolic resistance, um, and this is under their recent findings here, anabolic resistance is responsible in part for skeletal muscle atrophy with aging, muscle disuse, and during disease states. Anabolic resistance describes the reduced stimulation of muscle protein synthesis to a given dose of protein slash amino acids, and it contributes to its declines in skeletal muscle mass. Physical inactivity induces anabolic resistance that is likely exacerbated with aging, insulin resistance, systemic inflammation, decreased satellite cell content, and decreased capillary density. Um, so satellite cells, um, just a real quick interesting side note, is that let's say if you go a long time without working out, then you have activated and fused those satellite cells, and now it's much easier for you to regain all that muscle mass that you had or had lost because those satellite cells are already present. Uh, so sorry about that. Uh, critical illness results in rapid skeletal muscle atrophy that is a result of both anabolic resistance and enhanced skeletal muscle breakdown. And their summary here, insofar as 
Atrophic loss of skeletal muscle mass concern anabolic resistance is a principal determinant of age-induced losses and appears to be a contributor to critical illness-induced skeletal muscle atrophy. Older individuals should perform exercise using both heavy and light loads three times per week and ingest at least 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram per day, evenly distribute their meals into protein boluses of 0.4 grams per kilogram and consume protein within two hours of retiring for sleep. During critical care, early, frequent, and multimodal physical therapies combination with early enteral hypercaloric energy and high-protein provision is recommended. So this kind of goes, once again, to the recommendations that you should kind of distribute your protein evenly and obviously get protein feedings in and work out. You don't have to go six days a week. You don't have to go every day and do an hour of cardio. You'll be fine. Just do a little bit of exercise, just enough to stimulate muscle, and then obviously get protein to help trigger or um, stimulate that muscle protein synthesis and stop muscle protein breakdown. So we're going to pull up another study here um, from the National Library of Medicine. Um, anabolic resistance of muscle protein turnover comes in various shapes and sizes. Read the abstract and we'll kind of run to the conclusion here. Anabolic resistance is defined by blunted stimulation of muscle protein synthesis rates to common anabolic stimuli in skeletal muscle tissue, such as dietary protein and exercise. Generally, MPS is the target of most exercise and feeding interventions as muscle protein breakdown rates seem to be less responsive to these stimuli. Ultimately, these blunted responses, the blunted responsiveness of MPS, the dietary protein exercise and un, and exercise, sorry, <laughs> underpins the loss of the amount and quality of skeletal muscle mass leading decrements in physical performance in these populations. The increase of both habitual physical activity, including structured exercise that targeted general fitness characteristics and protein dense food ingestion are frontline strategies utilized to support muscle mass performance and health. Uh, kind of a little side note, Earlier, he had mentioned that um, you can thrive on a plant-based diet, but once again, we're looking for calorie per calorie. My goal is that we should have the lowest ladder possible or make the curb as low as possible for people to step onto to achieve better health. When you tell people they can no longer consume animal proteins, which are generally affordable in the form of eggs, um, chicken, pork, you know, red meat's not quite as affordable, but um, maybe some cuts are. Um, you now make it a lot more difficult for people to maintain that health and to get the same amount of protein day to day. Um, so let me see where I'm at here. Apologies. Um, in this paper, we discuss anabolic resistance as a common denominator underpinning muscle mass loss with aging, obesity, and other disease states. Namely, we discuss the fact that anabolic resistance exists as a dimmer switch capable of varying from higher to lower levels of resistance to the main anabolic stimuli of feeding and exercising or an exercise depending on the population. Moreover, we review the evidence on whether increased physical activity and targeted exercise can be leveraged to restore the sensitivity of skeletal muscle tissue to dietary amino acids regardless of the population. Um, so like I said, we're just going to kind of skip to the end here because I don't think you, you know, I probably already bored you guys to death with uh, reading studies, and I know I do this a lot in the podcast, but um, like I said, I've breezed through this. 
So um, I just don't want to bore you guys with all the details. Um, a central message of this paper has been that anabolic resistance is a common factor underpinning muscle mass loss with aging and other compromised disease states. In an acute setting, targeted exercise prior to protein ingestion has been shown to enhance the dietary amino acid sensitivity of aging muscle. And what's up, everybody? Um, we're going to take a quick break and tell you about the show's sponsors. Um, we are brought to you by Element T Electrolytes. I've been using this stuff for years, and what I've honestly found is that if I didn't have electrolytes before some kind of cardio, and sometimes even before workouts, that my workout performance, or definitely cardio performance, would suffer greatly. Um, Sodium is responsible for every single movement pretty much in your entire body. And let's say you drink a lot of caffeine, like I like to do, then um, maybe it is a good idea, like I do every single morning, um, put some LMNT chocolate electrolytes um, there in your coffee to get a little bit more sodium, potassium, and uh, magnesium in your coffee so that way whatever diuretic effect you get from the caffeine is pretty much diluted by the fact that you put chocolate salt in it. Um, also, it tastes really, really good. Get some uh, chocolate creamer, hazelnut creamer, or even coconut, and uh, mix that all up. It tastes really, really good. So, uh, yeah, make sure you drop by, go to drinklmnt.com slash health and uh, pick you up some electrolytes today. All right, guys, thanks. Thus is a clear fountain of youth for muscle. The anabolic resistance of myofibrillar protein synthesis rates, geez, say that five times fast, with obesity, at least in our hands, cannot be completely abolished with resistance exercise prior to food intake. Um, instead, we have shown that dietary amino acid remain confined the more rapidly turning over sarcoplasmic pull of the post-exercise state. Certain catabolic diseases, such as MHD, demonstrate a unique form of anabolic resistance when compared to obesity or aging. Specifically, post-absorptive myofibular protein synthesis rates are elevated in MHD patients' muscle and create a simulatory muscle protein synthesis sealing effect such that dietary amino acids lose their anabolic signaling potential. This MHD-related hyper-stimulation hyper, yeah, hyper of post-absorptive muscle protein turnover likely stems from the accumulation of the inflammatory or uremic milieu. As such, we speculate this catabolic milieu will necessitate a dampening before the effectiveness of targeted exercise and feeding strategies can be observed in MHD patients. Um, overall, the anabolic resistance of myofibular protein synthesis rates comes in various forms and can differ depending on the population studied. Basic advice such as moving more and eating more protein above the RDA to target simulation of post-exercise and postprandial muscle protein synthesis is effective under most situations of anabolic resistance. However, it is not a universal remedy for all situations. Instead, there seems to be a more, more of a dimmer switch for anabolic resistance, whereby the level it manifests depends on various factors, including habitual physical activity level and dietary patterns, adiposity, and other metabolic abnormal abnormalities. For example, aging muscle can remain quite responsive to anabolic signals, provide healthy lifestyle strategies employed. Um, an example, lower level of anabolic resistance, whereas MHD muscle is overstimulated at baseline and responsive to postprandial and likely post-exercise anabolic signals. Um, research initiatives such as NIH Precision and Nutrition and Molecular Transducers of Physical Activity Consortium will ideally provide better insight into individualized dietary and exercise recommendations to optimize health and quality of life throughout the lifespan and as such reduce the prevalence or severity of anabolic resistance. So I kind of like this chart or this little dimmer switch that they have here. 
Um, anabolic resistance is highest in people who have kidney failure, obesity, and are sedentary. But then it's relatively low in aging and healthy and physically active people. So what does that tell you? Be active. Stay active. If you stay active throughout your life, you're more likely to avoid anabolic resistance. But the problem is, is that if we're going to start getting aging people to exercise who don't exercise, then when you tell them they have to be on a plant-based diet, now it is that much more difficult for them to get healthier. I don't want that. We should not want that. We want to keep the, you know, the bar, the barrier to entry as low as possible. So that way people who are looking to get healthy can get healthy. Um, so, uh, we will continue on here. And once again, just to define sarcopenia, because sarcopenia is kind of what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about the loss of muscle mass, anabolic resistance, and sarcopenia is part of that, which causes over, which kind of causes death, right? I mean, that's what happens to people is that as they get older, they get injured because of a loss of lean mass and an absence of lean mass. And they eventually decay. So sarcopenia is the age-related progressive muscle or loss of muscle mass and strength. The main symptom of the condition is muscle weakness. Sarcopenia is a type of muscle atrophy primarily caused by the natural aging process. Scientists believe being physically inactive and eating an unhealthy diet can contribute to the disease. So what is sarcopenia? And this is from the Cleveland Clinic. Um, the medical definition of sarcopenia is the gradual loss of muscle mass, strength, and function. The condition commonly affects the elderly population and is thought to occur due to aging. Sarcopenia can greatly impact the quality of your life by reducing your ability to perform daily tasks. It can lead to loss of your independence and the need for long-term care. This kind of goes to the whole theme of this podcast, in liberty and health, where you want to maintain your health so that way you can increase the amount of overall liberty that you enjoy throughout your life. Sarcopenia affects your muscles, musculoskeletal system, sorry, <laughs> and is a major factor in increased frailty falls and fractures. These conditions can lead to hospitalizations and surgeries, which increase the risk of complications, including death. Sarcopenia can also affect people with a high BMI in a condition called sarcopenic obesity. People with obesity and sarcopenia have a greater risk for complications than with obesity or sarcopenia alone. So who does sarcopenia affect? Uh, most commonly affects people 60 and older. Rates increase with age and the disease affects both sexes equally. Studies on affected ethnicities are inconsistent. The, race, the rates of the condition increase with people with chronic disease. Um, how common is or how common is sarcopenia? Studies are inconsistent, but many people don't receive a diagnosis or treatment for sarcopenia. But rates of the condition range from five to thirteen percent in people aged of sixty and older. The estimate increases eleven to fifty percent with people eighty and older. Um, how does sarcopenia affect my body? A decrease in both number and size of your muscle fiber causes your muscles to thin or muscle atrophy. As you age, your body goes through certain changes that play a major factor in developing sarcopenia. For instance, your body doesn't produce the same amount of proteins and your muscles need to grow. Sorry. For instance, your body doesn't produce the same amount of proteins your muscles need to grow. When this happens, your muscles, your muscle cells get smaller. In addition, as you grow older, changes in certain hormones like testosterone, IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor, for those who don't know, affects your muscle fibers. This can lead to sarcopenia. Um, so here they just kind of 
lists of the symptoms, um, loss of stamina, difficulty performing daily activities, walking slowly, trouble climbing, poor balance of falls, and decrease in muscle size. Um, so we will talk about what causes sarcopenia. The common cause of sarcopenia is, is the natural aging process. You gradually begin losing muscle mass and strength sometime in your 30s or 40s. This process picks up between the ages of 65 and 80. Rates vary, but you may lose as much as 8% of your muscle mass each decade. Everyone loses muscle mass over time, but people with sarcopenia lose it more quickly. Um, and there's a picture here. Um it just shows sarcopenia, some causes, physical inactivity, obesity, chronic kidney disease, loss of mobility, insulin resistance, and reduction in hormone levels. And then um, they put a little graphic um, for steps to slow the progression, eat healthy, exercise, and routine physicals. Um, although aging tends to be the dominant factor researchers have discovered, other possible risk factors for sarcopenia, these may include physical inactivity, obesity, chronic diseases, um, rheumatoid arthritis, insulin resistance, reduction in hormone levels, malnutrition, or inadequate protein intake, decrease in your in your ability to protein or to convert protein to energy, decline in the number of nerve cells that send messages from your brain, your muscles telling them to move. Um, so I don't want to do absolutely ever or read through everything in here, but um, here are some tests that they do. They do a hand grip test to in this test. For um, sarcopenia, they do a hand grip test, chair stand test, walking speed test, short physical performance test, and timed up and go test. Um, and they just kind of cover some other stuff, how it's treated, um, imaging tests, prevention, medications, and um, you know stuff like that. So uh, prevention, how can I prevent sarcopenia? As I always say, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, or so other people say, and I really like that saying. Um, you may not be able to completely prevent sarcopenia, but since the condition happens as the part of the natural aging process, um, but you can take steps to slow the progression of the disease. These may include make healthy food choices, maintain a healthy diet that includes high-quality proteins, aim for 20 to 35 grams of protein mm -hmm. in each meal, um, exercise, maintain a physically active lifestyle that includes exercise such as resistance training and routine physicals. So um, we will close this out here and I will give you my closing thoughts. So I know it seems like I'll, I threw a lot at you guys, but I kind of want to round this off by saying that I do believe it is a very, very bad idea to push for plant-based diets for everybody because this isn't a fix-all. Nutrition is not a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, what works for me may not work for you. What works for you may not work for the next person and so on and so on and all the way down the line. Um, nutrition is a very, very complex thing and people are very, very complex creatures who have different needs, different demands, and honestly are going to have completely different things and what they adhere to. Um, what I'm able to adhere to changes over time as it will for absolutely everybody. At one point I did the carnivore diet, which um, I thought I would adhere, adhere to for the rest of my life. And I realized that that was no longer feasible for me. So now I do a more flexible dieting approach. Um, why is this important? Because if we're going to tell everybody, make government mandates that tell people that they have to eat a certain way, then we will see disastrous consequences of this because not everybody's a monolith and not everybody can prosper on a plant-based diet.
So therefore, we should not make sweeping nutrition recommendations or laws surrounding that because it's a very, very, very complex topic that can't just be boiled down to one thing. You can't just say that, oh, well, emissions and climate change. So therefore, you all need to eat plant-based protein powders. Um, That's silly. And not only that... um. There's such a thing called regenerative agriculture where you sequester carbon back into the soil and start to reverse climate change by using um, animals, right? Grass-fed, grass-finished beef. I'm not the most well-read person on this, but um, there's plenty of research and data suggests that you can repair the soil by, you know, rotationally grazing animals like the way they once did way back in the day. So um, my final thoughts on this is that... uh, you should do the diet that works best for you. The government should have absolutely no hand in telling you how you should eat or how you can best seek your best health. Um, I hope this is helpful. And if you are having trouble getting your daily protein needs met, once again, check out the um, sponsor of the show, Tiger Fitness. Um, they have all the best supplements out there. I literally get like everything from there from creatine, pre-workouts, branched chain amino acids, um, beta alanine, protein powders, fat burners, uh, you name it. It's all there. Um, make sure you hit the affiliate link below. And if you enjoyed this, please like subscribe and share. Um, I hope this provided value for you and I hope this is enjoyable. I hope it was educational because that's what I seek to do. I hope that I can give you something to make your life a little bit better and help you live, you know, your best life. So, um, you know, hopefully, like I said, this was worth your time. And, you know, if it was, then please let everybody else know. And I can be found everywhere below my link tree at Kyle Matovic, K-Y-L-E-M-A-T-O-V-C-I-K. And um, until next time, everybody, take care and thanks for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.